and uh, they're collecting you at the back doors. Uh, hi, welcome, welcome to Grace Fellowship. Uh, we have special visitors on the back row. We have uh, an elderly elder that used to be our head elder, Eric Wavett. People, they a lot of people don't know you. That's Eric uh, McMullen, and uh, he—you'll see—he has friends around here. And uh, he was an elder. He was our head elder for several years, right, Eric? He's old. He's younger than he looks. I mean, no, he's. I said that backwards. You're older. Yeah, you look good, Eric. <laughs> you know, aren't you glad you're here and not not here? It's like it's air conditioned. You got a nice cushy place to sit. You're you're not uh, laying out in the gravel driveway somewhere drunk on your face passed out it's really this is really nice so uh, I'm glad you're here this morning on Mother's Day I started talking about shame what a great thing to bring up on Mother's Day right it wasn't my fault it wasn't my idea um, it it really is the Lord and uh, it's because mothers so many ladies so many girls are are so much so sensitive, and you understand, you feel things, and you struggle, right? And most of our struggles are done uh, in secret. They really are. It's like in a hospital. I remember when they, this was a brand new revelation in hospitals. Hospitals used to be like hospitals. And at night, if you're laying in that bed during the day, you have all these distractions from your pain or the suffering you're, why you're in the hospital, and at night, there's nothing in that room except for you and blank walls and those noises and your pain. And uh, the medical professionals started figuring out pretty quick, people would be at a four or a five pain level during the day, and then at night, their pain level would like appear to go up to 60 or 7 or 8 or 9s. And... Uh, what they discovered is they started decorating hospital rooms. They learned it first in children's hospital. You go in there, and it's, like, wonderful. There's so much to keep the kids occupied. And I remember one of our best friends, uh, Mason Gonzalez, uh, he, he's with the Lord now. He, he had cancer. And I remember going into his room, and he would, like, show me all the stuff. He said, look, I can watch cameras and see what's happening around the hospital. And he could go to the parking lot. He could go all over and just... He had so much to do, and they had uh, video games, and they had uh, all kinds of TV and stuff, and they discovered that it helps children to be distracted, with to keeps you away from the pain. And uh, I don't know why I said that, other than I'm thinking about pain on Mother's Day that happened. You see, shame's real. It's real. Every human on earth deals with it. And I talked about it last week, uh, men and women deal with it differently, ten, t we tend to, but uh, we deal with it. Why do we deal with it? Because it hurts. And what I did, uh, I want us, to, we're on a journey to learn how to live free from the pain of not being good enough. Free from the pain of regret. Remember I talked about the stone that was left here. You know what will keep you from achieving and being everything God's created you to be is shame, regret, and guilt. You'll crawl into a hole and you won't ever stick your head up because we all know what that's like to fail, to mess up, 
you know, those, those little noises people make when we say the wrong thing. <clears throat> you know, that look you get from your dad or your mom or your relatives. You know, I told, uh, I told Marceline and some of the ladies sitting beside her, my grandmother was the sweetest Christian lady I've ever known. Uh, I live, she lived with us when I was growing up. And I used to try to catch her, like saying anything negative about anybody. You just couldn't catch her. Like she fed the dog better than me. I don't, she was just the nicest person. But I, you know what she would say? If somebody was really irritating her or really acting out, she would say, oh, I don't know why I just picked this name out of the blue. Oh, Keith Wessel, God love him. And if my granny said that, that was four-letter cuss words coming out of her mouth. And you knew Keith Wessel was a scum of the earth. And only God could love him. That's what she'd say. And I'm like, granny, you didn't cuss, but I know what you mean when you say that. That's, you're not happy with that person. And there were very few people that she ever said that about. There were some. So if you're going to deal with shame, you need to understand it. Right? You would rather me not talk about it again. Like next week on Father's Day, guess what I'm going to talk about, men? Get ready because I'm going to hit you right between the eyes. Because us men don't even admit. We'll say, you know, you might say you're embarrassed or you got mad at yourself or you're put out. And that's all shame coming out. And so, men, next week we're going to talk about shame again. We're just going to uh, touch it today. But I, one thing I think we have to know. Where does shame come from? You need to understand that. We need to understand what shame is if we all deal with it. And it may be one of the most powerful things we deal with that brings uh, pain and suffering into our lives is shame. And also, uh, here's a question for you. Can you remember a time in your life... uh, when you you didn't feel shame like can you remember when you didn't deal with shame before you ever felt it i remember uh when i recognized it which i want to do this y'all can see this is the little book i wrote what's wrong with me that's part of it i don't thank you thank you next week i'm going to uh the book's just about how to be set free from shame, really. It's just the shame-free gospel. Why would I call it shame-free? Because the gospel is shame-free. It really is. And this book is just a little part of my journey. And I was thinking about that question. Uh, can you remember before you ever felt shame? Now, you know what the truth is? Some of us can't. And I remember one line I wrote in the book that uh, brought tears to my eyes when I wrote it I'll try to be a little more self-controlled right now uh I remember when somebody when I when I realized actually I don't think anybody said it I think I just realized it I was like when I was writing the book because I'm writing my life right from when I was born you know and I like there used to be a time when I laughed hard and loud I remember as a kid, uh, I just remember that. I can remember I had this uncle 
that lived in somewhere in southeast Ar- southwest Arkansas. I can't remember his name right now. He was my grandmother's brother. And, uh, oh, it'll come to my mind. Every time, I, the few times, a handful of times I saw him when I was a kid, you know what I remember about him? The dude just was fun. He just would laugh. You know, he'd be like, every time you turned around, he'd be like, <laughs> and he'd laugh. And, and I would go over and stand by him, and I'd laugh with him. I don't know why. He's probably laughing at me. I don't know. But I remember when I was really young, I used to laugh, and then I stopped. I quit laughing like that. I'm like, God, why did I stop? It was way more fun to laugh. You know, do you remember when you, shame became a part of your life? When you started caring what you look like? When you started caring what other people thought? When you started noticing the look? Or the comments, you know, you remember that? You see, shame comes from somewhere. And for most of us, we either can't remember never feeling shame, or we've got to do like I'd have to do and go back to when I was five, four or five years old. And I remember that uncle who laughed. And I laughed like he did until shame became a part of my life. And I became smart and learned how to judge myself. And I became smart and learned how to look at the looks on people's faces that I was not the same as them. You see, it's really true. And then I think to to defeat shame, we can look at Scripture. Because, you know, there was a time in history before anyone felt shame. There's, there, it's, and listen, the Genesis is such an important book in the Scripture. Of course, it's Genesis. It's the beginning. It sets the course of history. And in Genesis, we find out that maybe uh, this is Genesis 2.25. Yeah, Genesis 2.25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. There was a time. Now, that's way back. But there was a time in the world when no one was ashamed of who they were or who they weren't. Just like with me, there was a time when I didn't know shame. And then I learned shame. Okay, so uh, I've got an illustration here. So I need a volunteer who's willing to demonstrate this for us. Naked. Naked, no, no, please, I'm just kidding, Chris. I was hoping nobody would volunteer, then of course there's Chris, right? You don't want to stand up naked. You don't want me to know who you really are. You don't want me to know your past. You don't want me, Chris doesn't care. Okay, Amy, you and Chris, no, 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 we're kidding. Lord Jesus, you know, let's have a little respect for the rest of us. I think you'd be fine. Maybe we wouldn't be fine. Right? Uh, who's ashamed? We all deal with it. You know, I had a friend who would say this. Quit sitting there and looking all sanctimonious. I've never said that because I don't know what sanctimonious means, but it's probably not good. It's thinking that you don't deal with shame. No, you do. You do. 
just like just like me, just like all of us. We live in a world that's driven and motivated and marketing. Shame is actually one of the greatest marketing tools in the world. You know, those those commercials they put on our our teenagers look at all the time. It's all shame based. You know, shame destroys us. You know, um, shame does some things. I love this verse and we're not going to go. Well, we're going to read like 80 scriptures, so we've got a lot. But uh, these are just extras. They're not part of what we're reading. You see, in Genesis 3, after something happened, we're not going to read that story today, but something happened. And God was looking for Adam and Eve and said, where are you? And he found them, right? And Adam said, I heard you in the garden. Did your shame start in your life when you heard something? And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. You know, let's start reading the Bible and thinking about it. I I want you to really think about this. Look at the progression of what just happened. He was afraid because he was naked. He was ashamed of himself. So he hid. You know what shame does? Causes fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of punishment, the fear of being different. And you know what you do when you have fear? You get angry and you hide. You see, shame is affecting you today. Why, why do we not have, we don't, uh, we don't, we just don't. I'm not going to talk. Uh, y'all won't believe this. I went through, whew, I don't know how many years, seven, six or seven years of college and three years of graduate school and went through, you know, a thousand hours of classes. And in every class I was ever in, I would sit, if they would let me, because when your name is A.A. Allen Alford, they don't let you sometimes. But if they would let me, I always sit on the back row, and I never talked in one class. Never said a word. Why? Why wouldn't I talk? Because I already knew I wasn't, and I couldn't talk this way. I already knew that stuff. And so I just never talked. And then people are like, how could you sit there and never talk? Oh, it's easy when shame has you. Because you don't want people to know how dumb you are. And there's a sure way to look dumb. Hopefully you're smart enough to know that when you talk, you can actually prove that you're not as smart as you. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a cute saying about that. It's like when you talk and you open your mouth, who you are comes out. It reveals your heart. It reveals what you're doing. Oh, no. Um, I feel that way, too, <laughs> sometimes. But I'm ashamed to cry in public, so I'm not going to do it. Shame. Shame releases fear. It's a progression. Shame is about fear. And shame always, fear and anger are two sides to one coin. They are, they are so interrelated. It's just, they just are. And so fear releases anger. 
And shame also releases isolation. They hid. They wouldn't talk in class. They wouldn't come early to something because you have to talk to people you don't know. Anybody else guilty of that besides me? I mean, I come here early because I'm I'm pastor. I have to. But if I wasn't a pastor, probably wouldn't. You know, shame hides. Shame is you don't know anybody and nobody knows you. And guess what? Men, next week we're going to talk about that because guess what we men do? We don't want people to know what's really going on inside of us because I'm afraid if they do, they're going to shame me. They're going to reject me. They're going to know that I'm as bad as I think I am. You see, shame's a huge thing that we deal with. The shame starts with this. Shame says this to us. There's something wrong with me. Hence the title to the book I wrote. What's wrong with me? Shame actually says that. It doesn't say I did something wrong. It says I am wrong. It's a big difference. Shame is a... Shame says, I am a mistake. Not that I made a mistake. It says, I am a mistake. Shame says, I am bad. It doesn't say, I did something bad. Isn't there a difference? Or do you use shame to control yourself and to control other people? Shame says, uh, I am am faulty it doesn't say i'm at fault as i am i'm faulty it says i'm not enough i'm not i'm the problem i'm not lovable i can't i will never be fill in the blank of whatever your your the pressure and the culture you live in puts you under i'll never be i can't i won't Shame just begins there. It begins with, I'm not enough. Or, it's funny, there's just another thing there's to this. I'm not enough, and I'm too much. Those are complete opposites, but both create shame. And I believe some of us deal with both sides of that coin. Some of us are too much, some of us aren't enough. And you know, it's interesting, and it's really sad. Children. Children will always result to shame if you don't teach them the truth. They will always go straight to shame. You see, if you're not teaching your children and raising them in the way they should go of how they perceive themselves, if you're not inputting into that, that's what our whole children's ministry is about. At VBS, we are going to tell children who they are who they're created in God's image and they have a purpose and a destiny and they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're going to speak those words to them. Because if you don't speak those words to them, there's somebody out there who will speak the opposite. And he's not nice. Listen, I have a story. I remember one day, um, somebody made an appointment for a little boy for me to pray with him, right? And he's not from around here. And uh, it was funny, when they showed up here at the church, his mother brought him, uh, I met him at the front door, and he was one of those amazing eight-year-olds, you know? He was just 
precious. I don't, he was just fun. He, he walked in, you know, and he was just curious. You know, you can just tell when there's light in somebody's eyes. He was just alive, and he walked up and he shook my hand like a young gentleman. And it, it's like, I'm like, who is this kid? Now, I looked at his mother, who I didn't know. Um, now, she was nervous and uh, hesitant at best. It reminded me of uh, when Jesus was up on the mountain and the man brought his son to the disciples who was, who was ki- literally killing himself and his disciples couldn't heal the boy. And the man was desperate. He said, Jesus, help me. And when I looked at that mom, that's what I felt coming from her. My son needs help. And I'm like, what could ever be wrong with this kid? He's wonderful. He's, he's smart. And we, uh, we went back to my office, just me and him. He wasn't scared at all. Just a perfect gentleman, you know. Now, he's, a, he's an eight-year-old. <laughs> he's he's acting like an eight-year-old, but he is, he is respectful. And we go, and I, uh, I just start asking him, what's going on? What, what's happening? He said, oh, he said, I got, a fi- I got in a fight at school today. <laughs> I'm like, you don't look like you'd ever fight anybody. You're so nice. I said, well, uh, tell me what happened. He said, well, I was at recess, right? That's where all the fights happen. I'm at recess, and uh, this kid who's sort of a bully, he didn't use that term, but this, you know, this kid starts picking on some of the other kids and pushing them around. And he said, I, was, I saw him do it. He said, and then I just attacked him. And they had to drag him off. Like they had to get the teacher on duty to come and drag him to the principal's office. I said, wow. He said, yeah. He said, I get in fights all the time. And I'm just asking questions. I'm like, he's not. What's up with this? So I said, what do you feel? What would you feel? He was very easy to talk to. I said, what did you feel when you saw that happening? He said, it just drove me crazy. I'm like, oh. So I said, Jesus, would you show him other times he's felt this way? And uh, he was, he remembered uh, his uh, little brother. He was like eight. He had like a four-year-old little brother. His little brother was misbehaving or doing, not doing what his mom was telling him or something. And uh, he attacked his little brother. And then, and, you know, I found out what was going on in his life, why he even showed up here was because the school system, he had gone from being just a perfect kid, the school system was about, his mom and the school system was about to send him away, like to rehab, because they were afraid he was going to hurt his little brother. And they couldn't, nothing would stop him from doing, going crazy. And uh, so that's going on in his life, and this is sort of a desperate last ditch. Somebody told him that maybe we could help him. (laughs) Like, great, no pressure. But I know somebody who could help him. If I could just get him and Jesus together, he's going to be good. So I asked Jesus to lead him, and, you know, it's, it was amazing, really. And, I, and so he thought of that. He'd, just, he'd attacked his brother the day before <laughs> and gotten in trouble. And so I said, well, Jesus, would you lead him to other places? He felt, he's felt that feeling that when chaos happens, he would go nuts. What he, and he started crying. 
And he wasn't crying before them. He just started crying. And he said, uh, he told me about when his daddy left. You know? True story. This is the daddy left. He said uh, he was at home and he was not being a good boy. And his dad gets home from work and his dad and mom get in a big fight. And uh, it was bad. It was a bad fight. And he's there. He's in the kitchen while it's going on. And his dad just turns and stomps out of the house. And he runs after his dad and uh, grabs his dad. And his dad pushes him back and said, I'll be back. He lied. He never came back. And the little boy is crying. You know, I'm almost crying. <laughs> this sweet little boy, I'm sorry, I, <clears throat> my throat was quitting. Um, I sang really hard today. Wasn't worship good today? Y'all, let's change the subject. Uh, I don't like sad stories. It's, it ends well, though. So uh, he's seeing that picture of him in the yard, and he believed that his mom was mean to his dad or whatever happened and caused, he believed he caused the fight. He was the reason his dad left. And, I'm, and so he said, that's why my little brother has to behave. Because if he doesn't, mom's going to leave. And when I'm at school and kids are going crazy, I have to make them behave because if I don't, something bad's going to happen. And so I said, well, I'm going to ask Jesus to take you back through that day at your house when your mom and dad were fighting and he left. Jesus walked him back through, and he's just going through the memory in his mind. And when he got to the front yard, where he he even described the car, he described it driving off. The, you know, I could see it in my mind. He described it so well. And then I said, uh, "Could I ask Jesus to come?" And he he was good, so I asked Jesus to come, and Jesus just did the most simple thing, what any of us would do. Except for when Jesus does it, when truth does it, it's true. Jesus put his arm around him and walked him back into the house and said, it's not your fault. And the little boy was healed. You see, he had judged himself, i.e. shame was what was killing him. Because the enemy had used a voice and spoken into his mind, that little boy's mind, and said, it's your fault. You're bad. You're no good. You're the one who caused this. And guys, you know this, we all fight that same battle every day. Every day we fight that battle. Dad left because I was bad. Jesus didn't agree with that. And the little boy got healed. You know, when I look at shame, where does it come from? Here's Revelation. This is a, I actually have this printed out so y'all can read it with me. Revelation 12, 7. Then war broke out in heaven. This is a great passage. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. 
but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. You see, this was before Adam and Eve. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon, you know who he was, was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. What happened to that little boy? There was a voice that accused him of doing something, of being bad. The accuser of our brothers. You know where the source of shame comes from? It's not the Holy Spirit. It is a spirit. Spirit of fear, spirit of deception, spirit of death. He accuses them before our God day and night, and he has been hurled down. Every time you feel shame, there's a dark spirit involved with it. And for too long, we've allowed shame to become a real part of our worlds. And we've even participated with it. And you know what? It's not true. That ancient serpent called the devil, that's where shame comes from. It doesn't come from inside of me or you. It comes from outside of us. You see, and we're all susceptible to it. 32-year-old man. I don't know him, not from around here. Stranger to me. Calls me and I'm like, uh, doesn't even tell me what it's about, just wants to pray. I say, yeah, well, I'll pray with you. And so he shows up and he is the most... I don't know the most, but oh, he was so defeated. Like he was a believer since he was a kid. But he had gotten to the place in his life where he actually thought he was going to go to hell. He believed his family would be better off without him. He had given up hope that he could ever get free from the addiction he was fighting ever since he was, I think he was 10 or something. I think he was around 10 years old. He got introduced, intentionally introduced to pornography. And of course, he was a boy, so he liked it, right? I mean, none of us men would like it, but, the, you know, a little kid, they do. That's a joke. It was sarcasm. Y'all got to lighten up a little bit. This is really good. <laughs> this is good news. The gospel doesn't have shame. This little boy gets introduced to porn, and you know what that little boy's, he liked it, but his heart knew it was wrong. You know, you ever been there where you, you know something's not right about this? You just feel it in his heart. He knew, even though this was okay for the people he was with, this is wrong. And ever since then, he'd been addicted to that. And he had fought it every day of his life. And you know what? He said, sometimes I'll go a month, two months, three months. And, and he was a serious Christian. And he said, but then I fail again. And I, and I hate myself for it. He was using these terms, right? And he really did. He believed he was going to hell because of it. He said, because there's no way I can know Jesus and I'm still fighting this 20 years later. So 
Well, all I knew was there was an accuser that had been talking to him. And I knew because of his words, and the Holy Spirit showed me, it's like he had been judging himself ever since that day that there was something wrong with him, something dirty about him. And uh, that night, it was so cool. It took a lot because he was so convinced that he was bad that I, it really, it's like he had, he had so been beaten up by the devil and so accused by Satan over and over and over again. Even though he lived a good life, even though he raised a good family, even though he had maintained and done lots for the kingdom, even though all of that, this one thing, right? And so I remember when he got healed, it, it, it made me cry again. I, I cry a lot. I just don't let you see it. It, uh, yeah, it's true. Um, so we, eventually, he had to forgive himself for being led to look at pornography. It, that doesn't even make sense, does it? Like, it wasn't his idea. Like the first time I looked at porn, I actually stole the magazine from somebody. It was really my idea, right? Uh, it wasn't his idea. He had to forgive himself for looking at porn and two or three other things. And then I asked Jesus to take him back to that day when he was that little kid and he decided that he was bad, just like the little boy. And Jesus walked him back through that memory when he's sitting there looking at that magazine. And I asked Jesus to come because that's, that makes me look like a genius. And it's really Jesus does everything, right? I don't have the answer. I know it's Jesus, but I don't really know. I asked Jesus to come. And I watched this man who was bigger than me. I'm watching him crying, which is hard to watch a man cry. I'm watching him cry. And he's, and then uh, he stopped crying, and then he relaxed, and this took you know a couple minutes, and so a little uncomfortable sitting there in silence <laughs> with somebody who thinks they're going to hell because of porn addiction. And then he uh, looked at me, and I said, "Well, what happened?" So I don't know. He said. Uh, I saw myself as that, as a kid and how bad I felt. He said, I, I felt so bad that I looked at that stuff. He said, and Jesus came up and he put his arms around me and he hugged me. And he said, I'm okay. And now he's crying again and I'm crying too. Do you want Jesus to put his arms around you and tell you you're okay? You're okay no matter what you've done, no matter what you failed, no matter where you've been, no matter what. Jesus wants you to know you're okay. And that man got healed that night. He did. And uh, there's more to that story. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting to me that the standards and judgments that we measure ourselves by 
however you're judging yourself, even if it's good standards and good measurements, this is how I know I'm successful. No, you're successful before you do anything. Well, this is how I know I'm okay with God. You were okay with, okay with God before you met Jesus because God came because He loves you. He values you. He thinks you're worthy. He sees you as a lamb wandering off in the desert that He's wanting to bring home and hold in His arms. You see, the truth is, before you knew it, He loved you. And He loves you now and He's never quit. You see, but we all think, we even have set good standards and I, I want to be a hard worker. I want to be a good provider. I want to walk in righteousness. I don't want to have any addictions. I don't want to have a, a record. I mean, I don't care who your parole officer is. They're probably a nice person. Okay, that was a joke, too. You guys don't get my jokes today. Um, that was a personal joke because I know somebody who's a parole officer, and they're a nice person. But anyway, that went over bad. That's uh, okay. I want to tell you this, how you measure yourself, how you judge yourself is the same way you judge yourself so you can be better. You use the same measurements, measurements to judge others and make them less than. Think about it. The, th the standards you hold yourself to that you think are providing for you actually become the con condemnation and standards you hold other people to. God's good, and judging is not a part of who we are. You see, we have, God's given Christians an amazing ability to discern this and this and that and that, but discernment is not judgment. Judgment condemns. Judgment says that they're bad. Judgment doesn't say they did something bad. Kelly, what'd you do to her? Mercy's sake. <laughs> do you do that? Do you judge other people in a negative way that you actually judge yourself to actually become better? Do you know you're as better as you'll ever get? That's, discernment is not the same as judging. And we turn it and we say it's the same thing. You say... Instead of they made a mistake, they are a mistake. Instead of I'm doing something that, that, that isn't Christ-like, I say I'm not Christ-like. Well, I want to show you, and we're going to look at Genesis hard. I'm, it's going to challenge you because our preconceived ideas of what the Bible says in the first three chapters of Genesis, most of them are preconceived ideas that aren't actually there. We're going to look at what it actually says. What does he actually tell us about this? It's a big deal. The issue becomes, here's what happens in our world. You know where we live right here? The issue, doesn't, it do, the issue becomes right, right and wrong. Who's right and who's wrong? And that's not what God thinks at all. Matter of fact, he called that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong. It's not about which person's right or which person's wrong because you know what we do? We've created a culture in the church and in our society here in America, right? I heard somebody say this. It's absolutely true. You know, we can't even discuss differences anymore because if you don't agree with me, you hate me. That's what we have come down to. We've come down to this personal thing. Listen, I am not, 
I'm not my thoughts. I'm me. And sometimes I have good thoughts, and sometimes I have bad thoughts, and sometimes my thoughts grow, and sometimes I, I... But I, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I think you're bad. And if you don't agree with me, you don't have any right to say I'm bad. You see, we've gotten to a place where right or wrong has become not at your thought is right or wrong, it's your right or wrong. There's no room for growth. We don't leave room for growth. We have condemnation. There's no room for conversation or connection. We want separation and division. And that comes from shame. It comes from that thing inside of us that demands, I have to be right because if I'm not right, I'm bad. If I'm not right, I'm wrong. You see, shame is driven by the, by the enemy. Shame creates stuff, all right. It creates fear. It creates separation or isolation. It creates judgment. It creates hate. Shame creates disconnection and violence. That's what shame does. You know, and you know what you and I do? We want to ignore it. I really didn't want to preach on it again today. And I sure didn't want to preach on it again today and next week, but I am because I don't know. When I read Scripture, you know, Jesus wasn't stupid. He didn't evolve. He knew what he was talking about when he, when he wrote Genesis, when he had Moses write Genesis. It's, it's true, but I think we misinterpret a lot of it. But it's true. I, it, uh, I'd encourage you to read it. We're going along. I only have three more pages. So, uh, conviction, right? Conviction, that originates with God. And conviction, true godly conviction, is always about love, intimacy, and connection. That's what conviction brings. Peace. Healing. That little boy was convicted about his decision that he had made that he was the problem. He made his dad leave. And you know what God did? He convicted him. And the little boy felt loved. He felt intimacy. And he felt connection. You see, that's what conviction brings. Shame began with the devil and always brings fear, isolation, and judgment. Guys, we need to deal with shame. God gave us extreme gifts. And I'd encourage you, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I, I'd spent too long talking about this. But in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, right? Let me go to Genesis 1. There you go. Y'all know this passage, Genesis 1.1. It's where it all started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was... I can never say that word properly. Hoover is a vacuum cleaner. Is the Spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. You go through all of Genesis 1 and 2, 
and you see God constantly doing this, separating this, separating this. He made this after his own kind. He made this. You know, you keep reading on. God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And then it produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. When you read through this, you see God constantly separating, constantly creating this according to this and this according to that, light and dark. God creates this. He created this thing that we would call division. And he says it's good. And you know what God gave us? You know, this is what's beautiful. I love people. Some of you guys post things on social media where people say really cool stuff about Jesus. Y'all read those posts? They'll be a nice picture and sound. Lisa Thorstad's good at it. Uh, There's several of you do it. And I appreciate that because I I don't have... Y'all know what the term coin a phrase means? Like Bill Johnson and those people can coin a phrase. They can manipulate, not manipulate, they can... They can paint a portrait with words, and it's beautiful. I really love that. Like the famous authors that are, you know, hundreds of years, and people still read what they wrote because it's so beautiful. How they put words together is beautiful. And you know what? They're the same words we use. Why don't y'all put my phrase coins? You know what I mean? Why don't y'all put those on the thing? Because I don't put the words together that pretty. It takes an amazing giftedness to do that. It's like music. Do you know music? Just a little bit off will create a song that none of us ever want to hear. But if you hit that thing just this way, we all love the music. We love the melody. Art. Have you ever seen my paintings? Camille's paintings are amazing. God speaks to people. I've never even done a painting. I don't even, wouldn't even know where to start. Well, it's just different. Different isn't wrong. Do you know devil uses this amazing ability we have to discern the difference between things to create wrong and right, good and bad, good and evil? Yeah, but Alan, you you don't talk like whoever. No, I don't. That's not bad. Because I'm the only me that the Holy Spirit can ever come in and live through that's named Alan. Just me. You're the only you that ever will hit the notes in the song of the world that we need to hear can only come from the Spirit of God in you. And we want to all look the same and be cookie cutter. And God says, you're special. Who you are matters. And you look through this thing, you look through this whole thing, and it's like, this is crazy. God, you created division. No, He created uniqueness. And it's all beautiful. It's all beautiful. There's nothing that's not beautiful because God goes through this whole thing and he says, and you know what? He created male and female. They're different. They're different. He did that on purpose. When you read all through Genesis, it's all according to his kind, according to its kind, each according to the kind, the animals according to their kind. They're unique. They're different. They're special. I mean, I learned something about frogs today. That was just amazing. I don't even want to talk about it because it's really not going to talk about it. I'll say it like this. Camille, uh, I showed her the picture and told her. and She went, ew, gross. And I showed it to Jacob. He went, that's cool. 
Well, anytime a 13-year-old boy says that's cool, it has something to do with bodily functions usually. That's all I'm going to say about that. You can look it up. According to their kinds, according to their kinds, livestock according to their kind, everything according to its own kind. He created us, male and female, he created us. He created us to rule and reign over the entire world. That's what we're created for. And we're different than an animal. That's why evolutionists really, one scientist already are proving evolution is a hoax. Just, and, and you know what? I think the devil wants us to quit discerning the difference. He doesn't want us to be able to tell. And so in our world, we're trying to say there's no difference between this, and there's no difference between that, and there's no difference. Why does God want us to see differences? So we can fall in love with him. Bottom line. So we can know him. So you can know love. So, and next week, we're going to cover that. So I'm going to wrap this up. I'd really like to do the all. These are great verses. If you read Genesis, it's really, really good. And he made, it's so funny, it's not good for man to be alone right there in verse 18 of Genesis 2. <laughs> and he made somebody opposite. <laughs> that was the worst idea God ever had, wasn't it? <laughs> he, why did he make somebody just like us? Because he's really, really smart. <laughs> why, why did he make us not animals? Because he's really, really smart. <laughs> why did he make us all look like you? Uh, he's really, really smart, right? Why did he make us all with great silver tongues and able to parse phrases and all that? Because he's smart. He's so much smarter than us. Science has not outdone God. Science eventually is going to expose God. And it's happening. The best scientists in the world know that that stuff people my age were taught in school was just a joke. Evolution, that's a joke. No real scientist really believes in that because scientifically it's impossible. But I'm not getting on the political thing because this won't bring life to anybody. Here's the truth. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Jesus wants to take your shame away. It's time. It's time for us to come out of hiding. It's time for you to come out of hiding. It's time. It's time for you and me to stop judging ourselves because we can we see differences. That's a gift God has given us. Some of you can see the differences with art. Some can see the difference with language. Some can see the difference with work. We see differences. It's not good or bad. It's just different. And most of us judge ourselves because where we're different. I know God's wanting to do something. What if this was true? You know, I really do love that. Okay, it's 12. What if each one of us, what if, right? What if each one of us are made just the right way, perfectly formed for the world we are in, for the struggles you're here to overcome, for the God wants us to rule and reign in this world. 
We're put here to overcome obstacles, to overcome problems, to, to meet, right? That's why we're here. What if each one of us were perfectly formed for our place in this world? What if that was really true? That's what we're teaching our kids at VBS. Now they have to, they're going to have to grow because they're, they're, God's created them with a purpose and a destiny, and you have to grow. What if instead of being a mistake and a problem, we are His creation, perfectly formed to overcome the adversity we face? What if the differences in us, the weaknesses in us, are the very things that make us perfect and aren't the things we need to be ashamed of? Do you know what the strongest bone in your body is? You karate people should know this. You fighter people should know. The strongest bone in your body is your heel. It's the hardest bone in the body. Your next hardest bone is your elbow. What did God say to the serpent after the serpent deceived Eve? You know what he did? He convinced her she wasn't enough. He lied to her and said she needed more than she was to please God. And she believed the lie. I'm going to look at those verses next week. It's just true. Look at it. He deceived her. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's deceived you. He's told you you're not good enough. He's told you you're lacking. He's told you you've gone too far. He's told you you've got too much past. He's telling you those things. But do you know what God said to Eve? He said, oh, Eve, you're going to suffer horribly in childbirth. And the serpent is going to bite your heel. Isn't that weird? It's going to bite your heel, and you're going to crush his head. You see, because in our weakness, he's strong. Yeah, maybe you get your heel. The strongest part of you may get wounded, may get crushed. But that weakness is where God's going to win the victory. He wants to have your weakness. He wants you to quit being ashamed of your weaknesses and offer those to him. So this morning, I believe that God wants to do that. We're going to have, let's all stand up if that's okay. We're going to have some ministry teams come down here. Adam and his wife were both naked. I love saying that word. They were both naked. That's uh, Arkansas naked. I say it the same way whether I'm trying to or not. So it's just, sorry, southern accent. They were both naked and they felt no shame. Are you ready to be set free from shame this morning? Maybe you're not even ready to admit it. That's why we're having Father's Day because it's so hard for men. We'll, we'll, we'll try to be really, really gentle next week with the men so they can like get healed without being embarrassed or ashamed. This morning, I believe God wants to do it. Maybe the spot in your life that's been hit the hardest is a spot that you're going to win the battle through because it's in our weakness He's strong. When Missy told me that this morning, I was like, Missy, you didn't know I was using that verse already. It's true. Give God your weaknesses. Quit being ashamed of them. Because you need Him. 
And when you give him your weakness, he's going to crush the serpent's head. So let's pray. So God, I ask that you would give each one of us courage this morning. God, would you give us the courage to begin to walk out of that cave of judgment and shame that we've been living in? God, would you give us the courage to expose our weaknesses and to let the king come in? See, I think this morning God wants to put his arms around some some of us, and he wants you to know that you're okay. So Jesus, I just ask you to speak to speak to us right now. What do you want us to know, Lord? God's good. He loves you. He loves you. Thank you for coming this morning. Uh, we have two teams up here that want to pray with you. And uh, go home and try laughing a little bit because y'all sure didn't laugh in here this morning. God bless you guys. Have a great afternoon.